0: I also want to share an update. I shared this last week. We celebrated this, and I want to celebrate it again uh, because some of you have been traveling, some of you have been sick, whatever, but at the end of December, uh, the end of 2017, December, we asked our church family uh, for $100,000. That's what we needed to finish the year strong in the black, and we did it. You did it. God did it through you. We actually collected $128,000 in December, which is just amazing. So go ahead and give God a uh, clap for that. I'm going <clears> to <throat> ask Jim Heston if he'll just uh, pray for us in a minute and just thank God for that and uh, any other needs we have among the body. But I wanted to bring that to your attention because a lot of times we say things, we pray for things, and we don't uh, then stop and properly um, thank God for what he did in response to that prayer request so it's great it allows us uh, to start 2018 strong we're, we're thinking we're dreaming we're planning we're going to have a, a family meeting about 2018 in, in coming weeks and I, I want to ask you this I want you I want to ask you to join me in prayer that God would do something very significant and very powerful in Centennial church in 2018 through this little gathering right here at Coyden Lebanon, through the 100-plus people that are gathered here, through our kids, that God will really do something amazing, something fresh, something unique uh, in our hearts and even through us in our community and the world. That, God, that 2018 would be a really significant year in the life of our church. Okay, So I want to ask you to pray that with me, and I just want us to take a minute and ask Jim, one of our deacons, just thank God for that, uh, pray for some of our missionaries around the world, and then we're going to jump into the Word of God. Okay, so,
1: Jim? Lord, we're just so amazed by your goodness and your mercy your comes towards us. You have blessed us beyond That hole in December looked pretty large you you it. You spoke to the hearts and minds and wallets of our body. And responded to the prodding of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, to give us giving hearts. Help us to see how we can be of service to you, both physically, financially, prayerfully, and lovingly. Thank you and praise you, Lord, for the way you've watched over us. Lord, and we do have still needs here in the body, and we, we do want to remember those who are um, serving here. Uh, Lord, we want to lift up our brother, John Bachman, who is leaving soon uh, uh, on a, another missions trip, and who uh, serves you so faithfully around the globe. And we pray for the fruitfulness of his ministry, and for your, your hand and what he and the rest of the team he works with. Does in these places where we cannot go, we pray that the gospel would be spread because of the work that you are doing through him. We pray for Wendy as she's home with with the three little ones mm-hmm. and still recovering. We ask Lord that you would strengthen her during John's absence and help us all here, Lord, to, to come alongside and help them. <clears throat> we pray for our, our missions in um, in Haiti. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, things happen, particularly in the neighborhood, Lord, where we uh, have worked so, uh, so much over the last few years. Uh, I know there were some recent raids into those neighborhoods, and, and innocent people were killed uh, in those raids. And Lord, we pray for the families that we've worked with and the people that we know, Lord, that your hand would continue to protect and watch over them, and that your, your word would reach out. Community. We pray for the team that's uh, being built even now to head off in March. That uh, Lord, you would you would soften hearts and, um, and prepare the folks in in the uh, Ravine and in this church as we look to minister there. We pray for our ministry uh, that we support there at the seminary and uh, and for all the work that's being done there and also. House of Hope, and we pray for your Spirit to move and to work through the small acts that we are, are able to participate in. We pray that your Spirit would double our efforts and help us to reach this world for you. We thank you so much, Father, that you have given us hope. You've given us your Spirit, and you have you would spur us on to action and to do what you've called us to do, which is to serve our world for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jim.
0: Raise your hand
1: if you
0: or someone in your family has been hit this week or weeks past with the flu. Pretty significant t- number of hands there. It's going around, isn't it? It's going around and it's going around heavy. It's been a difficult uh, flu season. There's something else going around too. And it's called anxiety. It's anxiety season. And anxiety has been called the common cold of the emotional life. It's anxiety season. This age, this culture, these zip codes, this generation of children, we're worried, we're anxious. Max Lucado writes this, Max Lucado says, if worry were an Olympic event, America would win the gold. The land of the stars and stripes has become the country of stress and strife. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity. Just between 1997 and 2004, Americans more than doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications like Xanax and Valium, spending from $900 million to $2.1 billion. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching epidemic proportions. In a given year, nearly 50 million Americans will feel the effects of a panic attack, phobias, or other anxiety disorders. Anxiety disorders are the number one mental health problem among women and are second only to alcohol and drug abuse among men. Last week, we began this uh, four-week four series. I almost said four-year series. <laughs> it's a big problem. <laughs> uh, the things that go through a preacher's head while you're preaching. Uh, we began this four-week series, Anxious for Nothing, and, and we began last week by just simply trying to identify the sources of our anxiety and our worry, and this may not be for twenty percent of you, but as I talk to people, as I listen to you, this—it's anxiety season. So last week we began by uh, just kind of identifying, trying to get a handle, looking into our soul of, of where are the places that we tend to worry. And I—I I said there were kind of three factors last week. I identified speed, weight, and breadth. Okay? Speed, weight, and breadth. Sometimes anxiety is sourced in just speed. Just things are moving so fast. Work is moving so fast. You just can't keep up. And speed either of life or things with the kids, the activities are so much. Sometimes the anxiety source is more in weight. Just watching a loved one suffer the end of life, going through unemployment, the weight of a a relationships. relationship, sometimes just those singular things can weigh so much that the anxiety stems not so much from the pace, but just the heaviness of those one things, one or two things. And then finally, breadth. We talk about breadth. Sometimes it's it's not one heavy thing, it's just the breadth of all the things, of of trying to be a mom and trying to work and trying to keep the house and trying to keep everybody where they're supposed to be and, and then you know keep the business going too. And just it's so many things. You're just spread so wide. There's anxiety not from any one heavy thing, but from the breadth of things. And I'm asking us in this four-week series. Uh, to be honest with one another, to be honest in our community groups, where what is the source of your anxiety? Last week I asked the question, "What's your anxometer reading?" On a scale of one to ten, what's your anxometer read? And to be able to share that with a close friend or in your group, hey man, it is peaking out, man. It's it's peaking there at eight, nine, ten. It's off the charts, man. So we're identifying those, and and this week and in the the two weeks following, we're really focused on how do we fight? As Jen said, how do we fight? How do we do battle against worry and anxiety? I cautioned us last week, I think there's two wrong approaches when we think about this topic, one, or two wrong responses. One wrong response is to beat people, people up about their worry. I mean, to use the Bible as a club and say, you shouldn't do that. And it's true that worry is a problem. But we can beat people up with Bible verses, but the other wrong response is just to kind of excuse worry and to excuse anxiety. What's that? Anna? We'll get to that in a second, okay? We'll get to that in a second. No, it, it may not be. Um, we can beat ourselves up. We can beat others up about anxiety. We can also excuse it and just kind of take it as the norm. And Jesus said, don't be anxious for your life. So if, if Jesus wants us to live differently with our time, with our money, with the way we speak, he also wants us to live differently in our faith. He wants us to not be wound up like the world is often, in worry about today or tomorrow or particularly things that are out of our control. Um, last week we talked about, this is a bit of a recap for those of you that weren't here but and a refresher for those of us that were here, but we talked uh, and we tried to memorize, I'm asking us all in January, to memorize Philippians 4.6. Okay? We'll put it on the screen one more time today so you can cheat. Uh, In the weeks to come, I'm going to have blanks up there, and then I'll have it completely off the screen on week four, okay? But why don't you say this with me? And uh, if you've got it, close your eyes or whatever. I don't see many people closing their eyes yet, but here we go. Say it with me, okay? Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Did I get it right? Most of it. Philippians 4, 6. Now, verse 7 is a dandy, too. You really probably ought to add verse 7 to it, but uh, I originally wanted you to memorize all six verses, and someone said, no, they're never going to do that. Don't do that. So I cut it down to one, and now I regret that I didn't make it two. Okay? I'm anxious about that. We're going to spend these weeks primarily in this passage. We looked a little bit at Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 6, last week, where where Jesus says basically the same thing. Don't be anxious about your life. And he also says, don't worry about tomorrow. Because if you're like me, a lot of your anxiety comes from things that aren't even reality today. They're things that could be, right? They haven't even happened yet. And Jesus says, he speaks to this future-focused worry and said, don't be worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow. And in his day, I guess people were just worried about food and clothing because that's what he addresses them about. I have a feeling you and for you and I, it's not just the necessities that we worry about, but it's things way beyond the necessities. A lot of our worry is future-focused. Worry is also faithless. Jesus calls the people that he's talking to in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Oh, you of little faith! Why are you worried? So, this is why we can't just excuse this. We have to address it because Jesus said it's an issue of faith. And of all people, people of faith should be less worried than those who have their faith in themselves or in their money or in their work or in their status. Anxiety is future focused, anxiety is faithless. Anxiety also misunderstands, often misunderstands the difference between responsibility versus control. And I think this can help you as you try to process cognitively your worry. Is this uh, something that I have control over or that's an illusion? I don't have control over this, but I do have some responsibility here. So example number one, you're a salesperson. Now your boss, okay, your regional manager or whatever may think, hey, you have control. You've got to hit these sales. This is, this is your deal to carry. This is your way to carry. But when you really think about it, can you control your sales? boss says you can, but here's the reality, you can't. What you can do is make the calls. What you can do is set up the appointments. What you can do is do your best job presenting to the customer, but you can't control the sale. So sometimes it's helpful just to ask, is this a, something I can control, or is this something I simply have responsibility for? And I said last week, there are a lot of things that we have responsibility for, but we don't ultimately have control over it. You follow me? Go back and listen from last week. And finally, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, faith, excuse me, he says, worry is useless. And the way he says that, he says, who of you can add an hour to his life by worrying? It's useless. In fact, it doesn't, worrying doesn't actually add hours to your life Studies would show us, I think, that worry actually subtracts from your life. Jesus knew that before the medical journals said it. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Worry is useless. I heard this quote 20 years ago, and it's still, I'm still reminded of it often. 20 years, somebody told me this. They said, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. But man, some of us like a rocking chair, don't we? Because it's what we're comfortable with and we just keep on rocking. This morning, uh, we're going to look again at Philippians uh, chapter four and we're going to hopefully see some tools, some hints here uh, and elsewhere biblically that uh, the Bible gives us to fight our worry, okay? So uh, let's read The verses again, verses 4 through 9, and then I'll pray a quick quick prayer and we'll jump in, okay? Uh, Would you read it along with me? It'll be on the screens here as the ESV translation if you've got it on your device or the Bible's in front of you. So read it along with me, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and uh, we just confess uh, too often We are sitting in our rocking chair, worried. I know that's too often the case for me, Father. I pray that through this passage, through these weeks, you would break through to our hard hearts, you would break through to our faithless hearts, and you would help us to trust you more. God, free us of the prison of anxiety Help us to know the difference between control and responsibility. Help us to trust others and help us to trust you for what is ultimately out of our control. God, do a work in our hearts. Do a work in me, God. Holy Spirit, be strong. Holy Spirit, change us. In the name and for the glory of Jesus we pray. Amen. We talked a little bit last week about how all-encompassing it is. He says do not be anxious about anything, or the New American Standard Bible translation says, from where we get our title, be anxious for nothing. He doesn't just say, don't be anxious on Saturday, don't be anxious about the big things. He says, be anxious for nothing, for no thing. That's the command. And this morning, as we look in uh, primarily verses 4 and 5, we're going to see some helps, hopefully, to help us deal with our worry. And the first thing that we see there in verse uh, 5 is that Paul's prescription for anxiety begins with a call to rejoice, okay? A call to rejoice. He, he tells us to rejoice and remember God's goodness, okay? Time out, example number one. So this morning and last night, my Bible, my program that I usually make the slides with, it just kept crashing it, I'd boot it back up, and every 15 seconds, it would crash. So I could make one edit, and then it would just crash. And finally, i said, you know what? Don't worry about this. So we don't have the points on the slide today, okay? That's, that's, the, that's the lesson. So if you want the points, one thing, uh, advertisement here, on the CC app, any week if you go to the CC app and you hit on sermons, there's, places, there's a place there that has the sermon notes. You can click on that, and it actually has a little fill-in-the-blank. It's got the discussion questions for your community groups, Blah 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 blah. Okay, commercial over. But if you're one of those people that has to have the notes, go to the CC app and you'll get the four points, the discussion questions, and all that. The rest of you are just gonna have to listen. Okay. So, verse four, he starts this uh, this topic of worry by saying, Re- "Rejoice and remember God's goodness. Rejoice in the Lord." Now, joy is a noun. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, but it's also a command. And right here, rejoicing is, is emphasized. It's in the imperative mood. It's a command. It says, rejoice. And that's present tense. The idea in the Greek present tense is that it's ongoing, continual action. That's the way he says it. Be rejoicing. And not only does he have it in the present tense and the imperative mood, but he adds this extent to it where it says, rejoice in the Lord When? When things are going good, when it's Saturday, when you've got the day off on Monday, rejoice in the Lord, he adds, always. And then he's just stacking it up again, command, always, and then he's going to repeat it. Again, I say, rejoice. He's commanding us to rejoice. Always, repeat it. When you begin to rehearse the worry, we, when you begin to forecast and meditate upon the worry, Paul is saying instead, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in what's good. Remember what God has done. Remember his faithfulness in the past. Remember the good things you have in the Lord now. And obviously in the Lord, but also just in, in your life in general one of the things we know he wants us to one hint of what we rejoice in is if you look right back up in the previous verse, he's talking to these ladies in the church who have kind of been having this spat, and he's telling them to, to get along, and he says, uh, pray for help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. I think that's a little bit of a hint about what he wants us to rejoice in the Lord about in verse four rejoice because your names are in the book of life no matter what is crashing down around you rejoice because the fact of the matter is things can crash around you and one fact will remain the same if you know jesus your name is in the book of life so the worst thing that can happen to us today or tomorrow is that we die and we go and we're with the lord eternally rejoice in the lord your name is written in the book of life Take stock. Not, quit, quit rehearsing the bad. Quit, quit catastrophizing what could be and ta- stop and take a minute and change your focus not to forecasting, not to rehearsing, but to rejoicing in the goodness of God. Easier said than done. Let me give you a couple examples about the straight from the scriptures, okay. Turn with me again—not on the screen, but turn with me to Lamentations. It's been a while since you've lamented. It's been a while since you've read—you've read in Lamentations. Wonderful book. Don't count it out. Uh, Lamentations chapter three, and follow along with me. We're, we're going to start in verse seventeen, and I want you to see that Jeremiah, who writes Lamentations, is rehearsing. Uh, God's goodness. He's rejoicing. So verse 17, and and if you want to talk about someone who's got some anxiety and maybe, you know, some mild to moderate depression, read the first 16 verses of chapter 3 of Lamentations, okay? But he gets to, we'll skip that, verse 17. He says, Jeremiah, the prophet, the man of God, says this in verse 17, my soul is bereft of peace. That's anxiety. The opposite. The antithesis, I think, of, of anxiety is peace. It's confidence. And what God's doing, it's confidence. It's all going to work out. Verse 17, he says, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. That sounds like depression. Verse 18, so I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Verse 19, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But, verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. What is he doing here? He's being honest. Verse 17, he says, here's here's the state of my soul. My soul is bereft of peace. I'm anxious. I've got all this memory of the bad. I'm facing my accusers, and this is not an easy task that God has given to me. he says, but this I call to mind, verse 21. He's preaching to himself. He's preaching to himself. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. He is listening to his soul, Verse 17, but then in verse 19, or excuse me, verse 21, he is preaching to his soul. He's talking to himself. We can either listen to ourselves or we can talk to ourselves. And the scripture here in Jeremiah is demonstrating don't listen to yourself all the time, preach to yourself, preach to your soul, remind yourself of what you have to rejoice in. Remind yourself of God's love for you no matter what is going on. Remind yourself that your name, if you know Jesus, is in the book of life and his love for you is new every morning. New every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Let's look at one other example. Turn with me also to Psalm chapter 42. It's the same kind of idea, but to reinforce it, Psalm 42 verse 5 and verse eleven, and the psalmist here basically does the same thing. He preaches to himself. Verse five, he says, "Why are you, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God." He's speaking to himself. What's wrong with you? Why are you so downcast? And then he preaches, he says, Hope in God. He's my salvation. He's my God. And then he repeats it down in verse 11. Why are you cast down, cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Every once in a while, it's true. I walk in to our bedroom or into the bathroom and I find my wife talking. Who are you talking to? I'm talking to myself. You know, that seems kind of weird sometimes, but you know what? It's right here. The biblical prescription is we need to talk to ourselves. If we are just listening to ourselves, we're going to be Lamentations 3, 1 through 16 in some of our feelings, but we, we have to also preach to ourselves. We have to also tell ourselves the truth remind ourselves of God's goodness that's the way he starts the second thing he says uh, moving on to verse five is that we are to not only remember and rejoice in God's goodness but secondly we're to stabilize our soul with God's sovereignty we talked about this a little bit last week but verse five again verse five he says let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand Now, it's translated here in the ESV, reasonableness. If you look at this in other translations, you'll find that he says, let your gentleness or let your forbearance be known to everyone. What is he talking about here? I think he's talking, he's contrasting this person that's anxious with this person that's reasonable, with this person that's patient. Because when you trust God, when you have peace, you're not as emotionally anxious. You're at peace you're gentle have you ever had a boss that just seems out of control and he he comes to your office and everything is everything's a big deal and he just can't calm down because there's no peace right And we got to do this right and here's here's your assignment but uh, someone who is at peace and is in control or knows that god is in control has a gentleness about them and a patience about them that says it's going to be okay Be patient, be reasonable because you know the Lord. The Lord, he goes on to say, the Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What is he saying here? Is he he's saying that the Lord is with you or is he saying the Lord is coming soon? Uh, guess what? Both are true. The, the Lord is near to us. The Lord is with us and the Lord is also coming again. The Lord is at hand. He is. He is coming. So he's saying, stabilize your soul, fight against your worry by God's sovereignty that he has not abandoned you, that he is at hand. He is there walking through this storm with you. He is walking through this fire. He has not left you. The Lord is with you, and the Lord is coming again. He will wrong all rights. Therefore, do not worry. Be reasonable. Don't lose it. Because God is still On his throne, stabilize your soul with the sovereignty of God. I heard one preacher a long time ago say this, say the sovereignty of God is not some mystic secretive thing that's supposed to just confuse us and confound us as theologians and people and philosophers or whatever. It is the pillow that we rest our head upon at the end of the day. God's sovereignty is the pillow that we rest our head upon. And for some of you right now, I, I I see it in your eyes. How in the world can that be with what's going on? That's hard to believe. I understand. I'm there with you. Nevertheless, it's true. He's on his throne. He's with you. He has not abandoned you. When I uh in high school, I was a wrestler, and uh, uh, I know it's kind of a disgusting sport, but um, we, uh, I was, I'm going to take my son to a wrestling match, and he he was like, I showed him some YouTube videos and stuff, and he was like, that's just a weird sport, dad. I thought you were going to like it, because it's like fighting and stuff, and that's kind of weird. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple wrestlers in here. I won't point them out right now. Uh, on our high school wrestling team, we had the secret weapon. Because I was a little guy, wrestled 123, 130, 136, and uh, I was decent, but I was not, certainly not the best on the team. But we had a heavyweight that was the heavyweight of all heavyweights. And if you've ever been to a wrestling match, you know you go through all the weights. There's 12 or 13 weight classes, and you start you know, at 101 pounds, 108 pounds, whatever, and you go all the way through 189 and 215, and then you get the heavyweight guy. Anybody bigger than 215 is a heavyweight, In high school, that's a big old boy. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think high school wrestling heavyweight, but whatever it is, exchange it for this idea. Mike Wright was 240 pounds of ripped muscle. I mean, cut, shoulders huge, bicep, I mean, just defined. I mean, this is not the stereotypical heavyweight wrestler. And so he would get those kind of round guys and he would just toy with them like a cat with a you know, little mice or something, you know, mouth. Um, Mike Wright was the heavyweight of all heavyweights. And if you know anything about wrestling, you start at those lower weights and as the team scores advance, you know, if there's a tight duel, then it comes down to the heavyweight match. And we, on my team, we always had the confidence that Mike Wright was gonna finish the deal. If we, if we were tied or even if we were down by five points, we needed Mike Wright to come through with a pin that would give our team six points and we would win the duel. And so guys like me could go out there and just you know, kind of play around and maybe win by one or two points and kind of barely get the win. But if, if, if it came down to the end and it was close, we, know, we knew, we were confident because we had Mike Wright on the team. And Mike Wright, our heavyweight, is gonna finish this deal. Mike is at hand. And what the passage is saying is that the Lord is at hand. You you can lose your match and be confident that he's going to come at the end and he's going to make it right. He's going to put things right. That there will be victory. As bad as it looks in the middle, as bad as it looks down in the, the lower weights, he can come through and win the whole deal. Now, that doesn't exactly work. I understand, Okay but you get the point when you've got him in your in your on your team when you've got him in your pocket you don't have to worry because you know you've got a closer and Paul is saying the lord is on your side he's got this you are attached to the winner you are attached to the kingdom of kings and the lord of lords you are attached to the one who is coming again And we'll put all this mess right and you can anticipate a world with no more weeds and no more worry. Because the Lord is at hand. He's coming. If you don't have that in your toolbox as you go through a broken world, as you encounter anxiety, I don't know how you do it. Because ultimately, the sovereignty of God is the pillow that we lay our head on. It's all going to be okay. Those are the spiritual, the theology of worry that he lays out here, at least in, in those couple of verses. I want to back up on those last two points here can talk about something that is not exactly... Uh, addressed right here in Philippians 4. But point number three is this. In addition to the spiritual rhythms and the spiritual disciplines in our life of of, of, of calming, of centering, and rejoicing and remembering in God's goodness to us, we're, we're reminding ourselves of God's promise. There's also uh, a very physical, very practical point in that, and when we face anxiety, and that is don't neglect your body, okay? And I'm not, again, I'm not lifting this from Philippians, but I'm lifting this kind of from a greater kind of theology of of, of what it means to be human from the entire Bible, okay? God did not create us as just souls, as just spirits. We're physical beings. We we have a, a body. We have chemicals inside of us. We have amino acids, we have hormones, and sometimes this anxiety or depression or mental illness or some of those things, we are physical people. We are not just souls. God did not just create soulish people, but he embodied our souls with physicality. And because that's the way he designed us, I think a broad kind of teaching from the scriptures is is that when we face anxiety, we also have to pay attention not only to our spirit, not only to our mental capacities and the way we're thinking about things, but we also have to pay attention to our bodies. So what happens when we're anxious? I'm talking here about diet, exercise. I'm talking about medication. What happens when we're anxious in terms of our diet, uh, a couple things well, sometimes when you 're anxious, you just don 't eat, and that doesn 't help your anxiety that doesn 't help your physicality of this problem. Uh, others of us, we go through a period of anxiety and, and rather than like fasting and just like not eating anything because we feel so wound up, is we just eat junk, we just eat garbage, we just eat fake food, and that also doesn 't help your mental. Outlook. It doesn't help your spiritual life, so we're holistic beings, so body and soul and our, our mental state, all of these things work together to help us be either healthy or unhealthy people that we are. So when, we're, when you're facing anxiety, you, you can't just, sometimes, you, you can't just ignore the physicality You have to think about your diet. You have to think about exercise. Sometimes you're in anxiety and all all you're doing is pacing and pacing and pacing. And sometimes you have to do something physically, whether it's exercising or it's going and just forcing yourself to sit down for five minutes to help with the physical side of anxiety. We're not just spirits. We're not just brains on a stick They need to hear some truth. We also have to take care of ourselves to be healthy mentally, physically, spiritually. Final point. And uh, I think we could show this from Philippians if we have time, but not only don't neglect your body, but final point, don't neglect the body of Christ. I see this over and over again. People go through a hard time where people, people are really struggling. They're anxious. And, and what we should do is move into community. And what most people do is actually move out of community. So you're going through a hard time. And sometimes that's when you're, when you're tempted to pull away from church, to pull away from the men's or ladies Bible study or your community group. And that's the time you actually need to press in. But man, I don't want to be vulnerable. Oh, I'm the only one struggling with this. No, you're not. Don't neglect your body, but also don't neglect the body of Christ. We have to be a people that minister to one another, and where we can go and confess our sins and our struggles and and bring those things into the light so that their power can be exposed. Uh, A a while back, just recently, I was uh, really anxious about some things. I prayed with a friend one afternoon. Physically got together. We prayed together. The next day, I told my wife, I was like, you know, this this day has been so much more peaceful than yesterday. And I wonder how much of it has to do with just speaking that and praying with someone that cares about me. Don't neglect the body of Christ. I told you last week um, about the most anxious person in our home, our dog. And he's got the perfect life. He's got it made in the shade. But for some reason, he's just anxious all the time. Particularly, He's not anxious all the time, but he's anxious particularly when the schedule changes or when we leave for a while. And he chews at all the door frames. So we've got all our door frames that are messed up because of this stupid dog that somebody just had to have. You know what people have told us? Numerous people have told us. I'm just kidding. I wanted the dog too. But I sure love to blame. Uh, you know what? Multiple people have told us will fix that.
1: No. I'll
0: try that. Though, thank you. All right, Dad. Get him a friend. Get him. Get him a buddy. We adopted him, and he had a sister that he'd grown up with for four years, and now he's been adopted and he's been taken away from his sister. What jerks we are. And, you know, people keep telling us, get him a friend. No way. But if you had a friend, that anxiety would lessen Here's what I want to ask you this morning is do you have a friend? That might lessen your anxiety. Do you have someone that you're really in your community group? Are you in a community group? Next week, we're going to have this group connect. Man, you need brothers and sisters in your life that you can say, my anxiometer is at like a seven. Never mind, it's at a nine. I'm just trying to lay it on nicely here. The only thing worse than being anxious Being anxious alone, so I don't encourage you. Don't neglect your body. Do these spiritual rhythms and exercise, and also don't neglect the body of Christ. You don't have to have it together. None of us do. But come and ask for prayer. Come and say, I need you to carry this burden with me. In a minute, we're going to take communion. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come up. We're going to take communion. And as we take communion, there's going to be some of us from our prayer team and our elders back in the back. Some of you need to just lighten that burden now by just asking someone for prayer. Maybe you want to pray with someone just right next to you. But some of you, just to relieve that anxiety burden, we want to give you a chance again this morning to come to the back. Uh, A few of us will be back there and just say, I need prayer on this, and we pray for you. So you can come forward, celebrate communion, and then go back and be prayed for, if you like, okay? As we come to the table, we look backward and we look forward. We look backward at a Savior who loved us so much, He bled for us. And Romans 8 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? In other words, he's saying, if I gave you my blood, how will I not take care of you tomorrow? I love you. You're, You're mine. So we look backward and we remember. But as we come to the table, we also look forward to this kingdom that Jesus talked about as he initiated Communion. He said, I'm not going to celebrate communion with you, my brothers, until I celebrate it again with you in the kingdom. As we come to the table, we look backward, and we also look forward to a kingdom where we'll be with our Savior Jesus in perfect community with one another, and all the weeds and all the worry will be no more. And we will enjoy fellowship with the Savior who bled for us, the Savior who is at hand, is coming again. Father God, comfort our hearts. We have so much and yet we worry about so much. It's just this paradox. God, minister in these moments through the table. Minister in these moments through song and through prayer to grow our faith and decrease our worry. Jesus, we thank you for your body and blood which shows us your incredible covenant to save us. Help us not to forget it. And God, every morning that we make we wake up, that we know the price that you paid to be with us. And look forward to that day that you come again for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.